Welcome to the Linglestown Life Podcast. In this sermon, Pastor George preaches about the universal question of why. This sermon was originally preached on March 6th, 2022. Welcome to the Linglestown Life Podcast, where our community seeks to love God and love others. Here you'll find timely teachings, important conversations, and encouraging devotionals to improve your life and help you deepen your faith. There's a universal question that everybody asks. It's a question why. We start asking it when we're little. Um, and uh, my, my guess is that, that if we wanted to stop and sort of figure out who gets asked the question why the most in life, we may find that as parents, uh, we feel like we get asked the question why all the time, but the reality is that uh, just like a parent, God gets asked that question quite often as well. But why is a question that most often gets asked in our lives when our hope is shattered? And that might be for a child whose hopes are shattered because they they can't do something or can't go somewhere, and they ask the question, why? But it's also the question that you and I as adults ask when we are devastated and we can't understand why. The question why may be asked of a spouse when they say to us that the relationship is over. The, the question why may be asked of a friend when we feel as though that friend has betrayed us. The question may be asked of a doctor when they share a diagnosis with us and we feel like, why, why, why? But, but most of all, the question is asked of God. And the question we ask is, why, why me? Why this? Why now? And the reason we ask why is because we're trying to find some meaning in the midst of a situation that makes absolutely no sense at all to us. And we ask why. We ask why because because ultimately we are challenging the wisdom and the justice and the power of God. And that's why, that's why we oftentimes shake a fist or point a finger at heaven and ask God, why? God, aren't you wise enough? God, aren't you discerning enough? God, aren't you powerful enough? Why? Well, whether you have asked that question in the past, whether you're asking it now, or whether you will ask it in the future, the reality is we all find ourselves seeking meaning in the midst of the ashes of our unrealized hopes. Now, you may have heard it said somewhere that that a human being can, can live for 40 days without food, They can live about three days without water. We can live about eight minutes without air. But we can only live one second without hope. And when you stop and think about it, hope, hope is what keeps us alive. I mean, hope got you out of bed this morning. Maybe for some of you younger people, it wasn't hope. It was your mom or dad yelling at you to get up. But but hope gets you up in the morning. Hope is essential. I mean, hope is essential to life. 
But when, but when life bursts the bubble of hope that we've been holding on to, we suddenly find ourselves falling and flailing, and finally we find ourselves laying in a pile on the ground. And when we find ourselves there, we feel a lot like Job. Job is the classic character that we relate to when we find ourselves in that heap on the ground because, well, that's where Job eventually found himself. Now, when you start to read the book of Job, Job, Job is just this guy who's flying high. He's got it all, okay? Now, remember, this was a long time ago, so what he had and what you have are going to sound a little different, but he's got it all. It says this in Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, In the land of Uz there, was, there, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people, of the east. So for, for Job, his life was up and to the right. Everything was good. Good until the messengers started coming. And if you continue to read down through there, uh, we, we, we hear about these messengers that keep coming. The first messenger comes and says, well, all of your oxen have been, uh, have been killed. And along with that, some of your servants. Then, a, then another messenger comes on, on the heels of that news, and he says, your camels are gone, and so are the servants. And, and then the third one comes, and, and he says, sheep, the sheep are gone, slaughtered, along with the servants. And then the fourth one shows up. The fourth one shows up, and he says to Job, your sons and your daughters are gone. Gone. There was hope for Job when things were up and to the right. And then it all came crashing down. And immediately, verse 20 tells us that Job began to go into mourning. It says in verse 20 that at this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Now you've been there. Maybe not to the extent, but you've been there. One moment, life is filled with hope, and in the next moment, you are face-to-face -face with the loss of hope. And when we find ourselves in that moment, when we find ourselves mourning, mourning the loss of hope like Job, those are the moments when the deceiver will come and begin to whisper in your ear things like, where's the meaning in this? Where's the justice of God? And that's, that's partly why we start to ask the questions, why me, why this, why now? News break. The reality is we all suffer. 
Maybe not to the extent of Job, but we all suffer. And suffering causes us to have doubts, and it causes us to question. And those are the moments when we are most likely to lose hope. So for Job, who, who has lost hope, there are two more blows inflicted in his life. The first is that he begins to be covered with these painful sores. Now, when we suffer losses outside of our bodies, that, that is tragic enough. But then, then when we have pain that is inflicted upon our bodies, it only, it, it only magnifies that pain exponentially. And then, then this pain in Job's own body is compounded by the words of his wife who says to him, are you still maintaining your t- integrity? Curse God and die. Now, there's lots of ideas about what that exactly means, but it doesn't sound very hopeful if your wife looks at you and says, just curse God and die. (laughs) And we would understand. We would fully understand if Job cursed God and died at that moment, but he doesn't do either. He doesn't do either of those things. And here's a lesson that I want you to remember today. We can curse God and die, or we can trust God and grow. We can curse God and die, or we can trust God and grow. And let me tell you, I don't say that like it's easy. It's not. It's not. And it's not like you can flip a switch and, and all of a sudden, you're going to go from this place where you, where you curse God to you're like, I trust you, God. <laughs> Doesn't happen like that. It's not like flipping a switch. And, and if we're honest, if you've, ever, if you've ever had a loss in your life, you, you know that you've wavered back and forth time and time again, sometime in the same hour, sometimes in the same minute. <clears throat> back and forth between those two extremes. And for our sake, I'm glad that Job's story is preserved for us and preserved with all of the struggle of our lives. Going back and forth between trust and cursing God and dying. I'm glad it's preserved for us, especially because one, one of the wonderful things it does is it helps us to normalize the struggle that we all go through when hope is reduced to ash. So with all that as the backdrop, we, we continue on in the story, and we sort of get the first glimmer of hope in Job's story when his three friends arrive. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Now, they have heard about all of these calamities in Job's life, and when you, when you go back and read the story there in Job, it says that they came from, from different places, and they all met together in one place, and then they went to where Job was sitting in an ash heap. Now, I want you to notice something about this first interaction with Job and his friends, because later on, they turn out to be terrible friends. 
But in the first, in the first seven days, they're wonderful friends. Because they, they came and they sat with Job in silence. They didn't, they didn't come to lend advice. Hey, Job, let me tell you. They, they, didn't, they didn't come and say to Job, well, let me tell you about what's going on in my life. And they certainly didn't come and say to Job, you know, Job, if you just had a little more faith. They just came and they sat in silence. And there is a lesson there for all of us. I've learned it. Sometimes I'm better at it than other times, but when somebody has lost hope, they don't need you to say anything. Because you can't say anything that's going to change their situation. You know what they want you to do? They want you to show up and shut up. I mean, it, it, it's, it's in our nature that we want to we show up and we want to say something. <laughs> we want to show up and we want to say something. We think that maybe if we say something, we'll make things better. Let me tell you, from a guy who's had to do this so many times, just show up and shut up. Because nothing you say is going to change the situation. They're just going to be delighted that you are present with them in their pain. Now, there's something else about silence that we need to remember, and that is that sometimes we need the silence just so we can listen to our own thoughts. We need the silence so we can listen to our thoughts, but also we need to be in those times of silence because we need time of silence to listen for God to speak to us. We need silence for both of those things so that we can experience both of those things. You know, one thing that a, that a good counselor will always tell you is don't be afraid of silence. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible when you're talking to somebody and there's that awkward Silence. But you know what that silence is? That silence is the struggle that you and I have to go through as we're dealing with the pain and the loss of hope in our lives. Silence is a part of the process, and we need to let the process work in silence. Now, they sat there for seven days, and after those seven days were over, they decided that they were going to get up and they were going to leave. <laughs> Would have been better for Job, probably, if they had, but as they stand up and get ready to leave, the questions start to come. You can read those, those questions in, in chapter 3. They, they get started there, and they go on through so much of the book. But, you know, I want you to remember that just as we need to listen for God in the silence, we need to listen for God in the questions. Because in the questions, we have the opportunity to learn. To learn about ourselves 
and ultimately, and more importantly, to learn about who God is. Now, I'll be honest, one, one sermon on the book of Job will not cover everything that you could ever ask about Job, about suffering, or the question why, but I want to go to the heart of Job's story, and this is when he begins to challenge God. Job, Job tells his friends, I got questions for God. And it's a contest he wants to enter into with God. He's got, God, I've got questions and you better have answers. And like anyone who is without hope, Job has plenty of questions. And he wants answers. But God doesn't answer Job's questions. Because God is smarter <laughs> than that. And it's not because God is stumped by Job's questions or by yours. Nor is God too big for you to ask your questions. But what God does is he asks Job some questions. And the reason he asks Job questions is because he believes, God believes, that that will lead Job back to a place of hope. And if you read these, these chapters, God takes Job on a ride through creation. It is just fun. It is just fun to read the things that God asks Job about. He said, Job, were you there when I hung the stars in space? And he said, do you know how I do that? Answer me that. It's a whole list of questions. Like, you know where the snow comes from? I know, I have no idea where the snow comes from or where it goes. God, God asks them all sorts of questions about animals, sort of like, you know, where'd the platypus come from? And why did I make a platypus? I mean, I just had some spare parts. I had a duck bill. I had a beaver tail. And I just sort of stuck them together on the ends of this thing that looks like an otter and thought, that's creative. This is what God is asking. This is what God is asking Job because, because the purpose of God's questions for Job are simply to transform Job's why questions into a question of who. Who? Because, you see, all of those whys are really, are really us asking God, can you answer the question, who? Who are you? Who? See, when our, when our hope is gone, our, our why questions are really a challenge to the who question. Who can I hope in? When our hopes are, are shattered and laying on the floor, our questions about the wisdom and justice and power of God, they're, they're really questions about God. Who are you? are you? Are you wise enough? Are you just enough? Are you powerful enough? And God, if you were all those things, my hopes wouldn't be lying here shattered on the floor. Who are you? And here's where we come back to that whole thing 
about we can curse God and die or we can trust God and grow. And learning to trust God and grow is never easy. It wasn't easy for Job. It's not easy for me. I bet it's not easy for you. See, the journey of life, the journey of faith, God never promised us a walk in a park. We live in a world that bears all the marks of death and decay that were set in motion by choices that were made generations before us. And the only thing that we can hold on to in this world that allows us to find meaning and purpose in the midst of shattered hopes is to have hope in Jesus. Because you see, Jesus is the answer to all the questions that we're asking. Because ultimately, all those questions are who questions. They're questions that cause us to ask, who do I believe God is? Who is this one that I have placed my faith and trust in? It's not about trying to find all the answers to the why questions. I can assure you in my nearly 60 years of life, I have yet to come up with an answer to all the whys. But I know the answer to the question, who? And so I have hope. And so as we, we suffer, as we struggle, as we go through trials, as we experience life, as we seek out wisdom, and as time teaches us, what do we do? We grow in knowing who God is. We learn who God is as he is revealed in Jesus. Who, who, do you remember what I said in the prayer to start the service this morning? Jesus said to us, in this world you will have, anybody remember what Jesus told his disciples? In this world you will have trouble. You've all had trouble. But what did Jesus say? But take heart, for I am have overcome the world. And that's our hope. It's not in getting an answer to every why, it's in knowing who the answer is. And that's where we're going to pick up next week in a story about Abraham and Sarah, who were trying to figure out who God is as they were faced with their own trials and they were trying to understand and they learned who God is. We'll answer that question next week. Thank you for joining us on the Linglestown Life podcast. If this message was meaningful to you, we hope that you'll leave a review and share it with others. If you want to know more about our church or would like to attend a service or community event, find out more at www.linglestownlife.org. God bless you and may you go forth to love God and love others.
Thank you.